Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. The reading of God's Word from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And it touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and Say this to my people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their ears, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people, and the lands is a desolate place, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stands. Father, we thank you and bless you, God, for this morning. Thank you for your word that has been read before us. And we pray, Father, humbly that your spirit might work in the preaching of your word. That the faith of your people might not rest on man, but on you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. Let's be a little bit, you know, relaxed. We are a family of God, and uh, we're coming to a family basis, a body of Christ, and we are just seeking to honor God together as a church. Now, I remember when I was still courting Malu, um, they lived right across our house, and as a hopeless romantic, 
you know, just looking at her from afar. I'd always a joy to see her, you know, going out of their house, walking down the street. And there was a time that um, she did not even know that someone <laughs> creepy. Um, and there was this song during this time. I don't know if you've heard that one. So many questions by side A. And the lyrics of that song goes, I want to sing, but I don't want to stumble you. Uh, but the lyrics of the song goes like this. Have you seen her? Have you seen her pass this way? What is it about her? What makes me feel this way? Some of you are singing right now in your mind. What makes me feel this way? Is it her eyes? Maybe. But I'm not so sure. Is it her laughter? Something I never heard before. The chorus goes, so many questions, but the answers are so few. But all I really know is I love you. What I want to point out from that lyrics is there's something or something that we see always affect us. Always affect. It has an effect on us, whether good or bad, but it has an effect on us. That's so why very important that we know what, where, or what we are looking at, because whether we look like it or not, it affects us. And today, it's good to ask the question, have you seen the Lord? Have you seen Him? I, wanna, I put it in the uh, present tense, I see the Lord, that's our title this morning, because many of us are living from yesterday's glory. We're not supposed to, to do that as Christians. Yes, we have seen the Lord in the past, but we are supposedly continually seeing the Lord. So are you seeing the Lord? Because if a look on a person or if a look on a thing does have an effect on us, if it does have an effect on us, think about this. How much more when we see the Lord? That it does not just affect the things that we do. It, it affects us at the core of our being. In other words, we cannot claim that we are seeing the Lord. We cannot claim that we are enjoying the Lord. And yet, we, are, or we have the most lousy worship service, commitment to God. We cannot say that we are enjoying the Lord and yet we do not have energy for God. According to G.I. Parker on his book, Knowing God, Knowing God in that chapter that he was dealing on a verse from the book of Daniel, he gave four points in that particular chapter. One of those four points goes like this. Those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great energy for God. We are supposed to be more passionate than the sports enthusiasts. Are you following? Sundays, they said it's, they worship on a coliseum. They worship on the football field. It's like worship to them. They're so excited. That's their... Lord's Day, 
That's the best day for them for the week because they go and watch football. But football in the Lord, I don't see, I don't see football comparable to God. I don't see basketball comparable to God. And so if these people have all the energy towards their own passions, how much more we who have seen the Lord towards our passion in serving God. This is what we will be looking at this morning. And I hope that I will not just, that I will not, no, this is not a guilt trip. I'm not here to guilt trip you, but to empower us. To empower us to look more on the Lord and see ourselves passionately serving God. Being quite worried about what would happen to Judah after their good king, Uzziah, good king for 52 years, died. Isaiah went into the temple to find comfort from the Lord. He was seeking for comfort. Now, we are not given a privilege to see what was in the mind of Isaiah when he went into the Lord. What was he praying? What was he asking of the Lord? But who knows? He might have wanted to just know from the Lord that everything will go with them as a nation, will go well with them as a nation. Or like us as a church, when we go through difficult times, we went through difficult times when we be, prior to becoming a cruciform life church. All of us just wanted to hear from the Lord, from His Word, that everything will be well with us. But nothing of this sort was given to Isaiah. In fact, the Lord proceeded to tell Isaiah that Judah will become a desolate place. You read that one in verses 11 to 12. And we know that later on, it will become desolate when the Babylonians will come and destroy their city. However, Isaiah left the temple with a sense of commitment to obey the Lord. In verse 8, we know that he presented himself. He said, here I am, send me. Despite of the fact that by human standards, by human standards, Isaiah might be having a seemingly unsuccessful prophetic ministry. He will be preaching to people who will never listen. And yet, he had all the energy. So if Isaiah would be preaching to people who would never listen, and Judah will eventually be looted by the Babylonians, what gave Isaiah the sense of vigor? What renewed the strength of Isaiah in this chapter? The Lord did not give Isaiah a promise. As Pastor Joe two weeks ago said, uh, many of those who would come into the ministry would tell you, this is the verse that God has given me. But Isaiah did not have that promise. He's not like the televangelist of our time the so-called prophets of our time who would quote from the word of God and say, your nation will prosper. There's only one thing in the story that explains where did 
all this strength and energy from Isaiah come from? And it comes from seeing the Lord. These four words in Isaiah 6 verse 1, which says, I saw the Lord did all the tricks. That's what made the difference. It was all that Isaiah needed to give his life to God in the ministry. That's all. What does seeing the Lord means then? This is the basic question I want us to answer today. As we study Isaiah 6, what does seeing the Lord mean? And I want to revolve around this idea. This is our message this morning. Seeing the Lord and experiencing His wrath-taking grace will make us realize the true greatness of God and His salvation that will destroy all forms of mere formality in us and change us into the most passionate, self-abandoning servant of God. Seeing who God is and experiencing His forgiveness that flows from the cross of Christ are supposed, supposedly would take away mere formality, our passionless worship, our begrudging service to God and replace it with a passion. We will have four points today that somehow prove that we truly saw the Lord. Here's our four, four points. First, seeing the Lord means seeing how God is infinitely higher. Second, Seeing the Lord means seeing that we are worse than we think we are. Number three, third point, seeing the Lord means He will cleanse us with His wrath-taking grace. And lastly, seeing the Lord means becoming His passionate, self-abandoning servant. Let's look on this four. Let's first look at the first one. Seeing the Lord means seeing how God is infinitely higher. When J.D. Bridges, Ligonier's Vice President of Global Outreach, was here, he explained to us the heart of Ligonier, and that is, the churches will have a high view of God. And he said, we captured that from our founder, Dr. R.C. Sproul, who was guided in all of this ministry to bring or to give the church such a high view of God. And I certainly resonated with us because, with that because I do not believe that one truly encountered God without having a sense of God's highness, God's loftiness, without having a sense of a high view of God. We need to have that. A high view of God will keep us from our cell phones when we are praying to Him. A high view of God will keep our eyes from enjoying that which we shouldn't be enjoying. A high view of God would, make, would give us the thrill to look upon His Word, to see someone that is not soft and like us, but someone that is so great. When I 
when Isaiah went into the temple, he was given a vision. The temple's roof, probably in his vision, somewhat opened, and he saw heaven where the Lord reigns. If there is anything that Isaiah's vision of God tells us is the truth that God is infinitely higher than all his creations. Infinitely higher. Everything in verses 1 to 4 points to the holiness of God, which basically means that there is nothing greater and higher than him. The first thing that Isaiah told us about the Lord is that the Lord was sitting high or upon a throne, lifted high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, Isaiah was not living in a democratic country like ours. He was living in a monarchical country. He's familiar of a king sitting on a throne. He knew that this vision is about God being king. However, the Lord is nothing like any human king. But Isaiah said he did not only see that the Lord is sitting on his throne, he saw that the Lord was high and lifted up. With this, Isaiah is trying to tell us that he, he saw the sovereign king. In his vision, he saw the sovereign king. God's authority is no other, is no ordinary one. It is above all authorities. In fact, as we know, through the other parts of Scripture, that God is the one who bestows. God is the one who gives authority. Romans 13, for example, tells us that the government, that the authority of the government is a God-given authority. The government is a servant of God, we are told. See, authority is very powerful. Once authority is given, that's powerful. That's why we have to be careful in exercising authority. When you're driving down the road and you see a little boy, maybe a youth, in the middle of the streets, wearing short but directing traffic. Don't we, even, as, even if you are a president of the company or you are a big person, you follow that boy. Because that boy seems to be at that particular time has the authority to direct traffic. That's a picture of power in authority. But there is no greater authority than God. He bestows authority. All human authority is given. The authority of God is intrinsic. If you may, He is authority. God is authority. And like any human king or any human kingdom that has some sort of majesty, Isaiah is trying to describe to us how majestic is God. When he said that the train of his robe filled the temple. 
at the time of Isaiah, if today, if you want to see the majesty of the king, he would, you would have to look at the entourage. You would have to look at how signatured are their clothes. You would see all those things and you can, and you would go to their palace and you can sense how great is the palace or great is their office. And you can sense of the majestic place. At the time of Isaiah, one of the ways by you, you can see the majesty of the king is by his robe. Robe at that time is quite expensive. And we are told here, this is not an exaggeration. This is the vision, but exaggeration in a sense that we would understand that this is how majestic God is. The train of his robe filled the temple. I've never been into a president's office or a palace or a king's palace. I've never been. However, I'm pretty sure that those who have the luxury to go into different offices of the president, they can compare the majesty. I'm, I'm very sure that if I go to Malacanang, I can sense that this is no ordinary place. But if I'll be given an opportunity to go to the White House, it's another thing. The closest example and experience I have in a sense of majesty is when I go to hotels. There are hotels, like when you go there, there's no sense of all like ordinary and you can just move around com comfortably. But if you're like me, uh, who seldom goes to a five-star hotel, and if you're in the five-star hotel, you see the marble um, floor, you see the carpet, you see those big chandelier drop, and then you begin to see that people there are quite formal. You, you feel, I, I hope you're with me, I don't belong here. That's a sense of awe that will knock you off your feet. This sense of awe that we feel in those times is comparable to the word majesty. The highness and maj majesty of God threw Isaiah off his feet. If Isaiah was a person of confidence before this exposure to the holiness of God, he lost all form of confidence. In fact, he does not just want to leave the place. He pronounced judgment upon himself. You can already sense how majestic God is. In fact, one of the purest of creations, the seraphim, even felt so unworthy to look on the Lord. Jesus said, God will really be worshipped because if his people will not worship him, the stones will worship. So there are beings in heaven created for the very purpose of worship. I mean, continuous declaration, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I don't know if these angels would rest or if they have a shifting work like I am 8 to 12 and you are, you know, 12 to 8. But I think because they don't get tired, that's just 24-7, if you may. From eternity past to the eternity future, that's their work. So the second thing that we find in the text 
that tells us of this holiness of God, that this, the seraphim could only declare with their lips that God is holy, 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 but they could not look at God straight. They could not. Verses 2 and 3 gives us the idea that holiness is more than just being pure. It certainly includes purity as this word is applied to us sinners. It means the holy are the ones who does not engage in sin. But that's surely not the point here because we are talking of the purest creations, the seraphim. Sin was not the issue here. And yet, comfortable or at ease will be the last description that we could describe this seraphim in the presence of God. They were not comfortable. Like, like when you're comfortable with your friends, I'm comfortable because I am like them. The seraphim was not comfortable because they are not in the presence of someone of their equal. Isaiah 6 verse 2 to 3 it reads, Above him stood the seraphim each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Every detail, again, in that two verses, describes what the seraphim continually cried out, and that is, Holy, holy, holy. What is this word all about? Notice carefully. I don't know if you've asked this question. Well, you can say holy, holy, holy. But why not in the next sentence? Is song that just say holy, holy in the first verse, in the second verse, holy, holy, holy. In the third verse, holy, holy, holy. It's not the song that we sing in, song, in church. Why not just holy, holy, holy and the next verse is grace, grace, grace. We realize that this attribute of God is not just one of his attributes. It is the attribute of attributes. In other words, if there is anything that separates God from his creation, it is his holiness. The word holy in the first place means to separate. In our endeavor to have a sense of this holiness of God, May the Lord, in His Holy Spirit, allow us to have that sense. In our endeavor to have this sense of holiness of God, it helps to note that the seraphim were worshiping. And worship, we know, is giving God His worth. It's about value. And they use the word holy because holy is not just about being separated from sin or it, sim or it simply means purity. It is essentially, if it is applied to God, it means the transcendence of God, the highness of God, the loftiness of God. He is just higher than all his creations combined. So if God is higher than all his creations, how high is God? How holy is He? 
not only that it helps to note that the seraphim were worshiping, so that it puts us in the context of worth, but the ones also who were worshiping, again, they were seraphim, and seraphim is plural, and the literal translation of that is burning ones. And if fire speaks of purification, we are talking about the purest creations. And they might be very privileged. I want to be a seraphim. I want to have four wings and I want to, or six wings to cover my eyes, to cover my feet and to fly and to continually cry out, holy, holy, holy. Yet, lest they themselves would, or fancy themselves into thinking that they deserve this work as pure creations. God's holiness did not allow them to look at straight. To look at God straight. I don't know if you have ever tried that just by looking at the person, you cannot look at the person in the eyes straight. All right? This is exactly the picture here. They were not equal to God. They were not on the same level as God. The, the seraphim were provided extra four wings to cover themselves. Cover themselves from what? Cover themselves from the holiness of God. And instead of looking at God, one called to another and say, Holy, holy, holy. This picture did not fail to tell us that God must have been too high, too valuable, too great, too majestic, too holy for the seraphim. If the word holy speaks of God being greater, greater in value, greater in worth than anything, holy is not enough. They say holy, holy, holy. I don't know. I've said to Malu, you're so beautiful countless of times but probably I've never said you're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful you're beautiful it's enough Seraphim says holy, holy holy is the Lord of hosts if you may repeating it three times the Seraphim tells us that if we wanted to have a tangible sense of high how God, how high God is. Think of an immeasurable God. It, it goes beyond our imagination. Think of something that you could never imagine. That's how high He is. And indeed, if the repeating of words for the Jews means of highest importance, then to call God holy, holy, holy means no one should miss that God is infinitely higher than all his creations. 
This is why. Because there's no one holy like him. He created everything. For what purpose? To declare that he's holy. That's why it says there. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth was made for the purpose of showing that God is holy. That there is none like him. And even verse 4. The angels, when they cried out, holy, holy, that must have been a mighty voice that it shook. It shook the palace. It shook the place. The foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And I want to insert a little bit of a sidebar here. Seeing the holiness of God will produce in us a passion to worship God with all our hearts. And, and we cannot help but ask ourselves, how could we many times lousily worship God when the seraphim who knew how worthy God is of worship could only sing with all his might and voice to the point that their voice shook the place? Worship should be done with all our being. As Jesus said, Yes, worship the Father in spirit. But don't forget, you also have to worship the Father. Sorry. Yes, worship the Father in truth. But you also have to worship the Father in spirit. Lastly, one of the things that the smoke in Scripture tells us is the presence of God. And the presence of God consumes all forms of unholiness. That's why the smoke does not keep God from Isaiah's sin. The smoke protected Isaiah from the holiness of God. Look at that. The reason why holy, 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 because the holiness of God speaks of the essence of God. It is the attribute of attributes. We can love, but God is a holy love. It's just different. We have the power, but the power of God is a holy power. It's just different. The, we can live righteously, but the righteousness of God is a holy righteousness. It's just different. In other words, God is just different. Because He is that high. Therefore, no one truly saw the Lord. Without a having or without having a sense of how high God is. Because it is the very essence of God. Listen, if you say, I have known the Lord. But we do not have the passion for God. My question is, have we, was it God that you saw? Because... Like the angels, though we have the privilege now to worship God and declare with our lips that God is holy, holy, holy. Yet because of the holiness of God, there should always be a sense of how unworthy and small we are to be in the presence of God. As the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 28. 
give an acceptable worship to God. And what is it? It is a worship with reverence and awe. Here's the last thing we want to worship God. We worship God. And yet we know we have no intention to stop the sins that we are committing. We worship God, but we know Isaiah found himself not only that he could not look at God like the seraphim, but he could also not declare with his mouth that God is holy. He felt so unworthy in the presence of God. I believe this is a senecduke. In other words, a figure of speech that says one part represents the whole, which means Isaiah's lips is not just what was filthy, his whole being was filthy before God. Isaiah in verse 5 somewhat compared himself to the seraphim. Look at the, the comparison that he did there. The seraphim could declare their mouth with their mouth that God is holy. He found his mouth too dirty for such a work. The seraphim had wings to cover their faces, thus their eyes, but he has seen the king, lest he should die. Being called to be a prophet. His mouth will later on be used to declare God's word to the people, but we found it too dirty to declare that God is holy at this point. In fact, in verse 5, he would rather use his mouth to pronounce his judgment upon himself, woe is me, for I am lost. That's the only thing that he can use his mouth for, pronounce judgment upon himself, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, that to sing with the seraphim. Exposed to the holiness of God in this way, Isaiah, I believe, for the first time in his life, realized that his mouth was as unclean as the people whom he was living with. This is, by the way, not the conversion of Isaiah. Calvin and other, a lot of, Scholars agree that Isaiah was already saved when he entered the temple. For why would he go to the temple and seek the Lord if he was not a true believer? This is his calling into the ministry. And yet, he, he saw how dirty he was. And yet, listen to this. Don't think of Isaiah as someone who uses his word, his mouth badly. No, Isaiah was not your ordinary young lad. He was righteous. And yet, exposed to the presence of God, he saw all his filthiness. Which begin to tell us that Yes, as we get into the ministry, we always feel unworthy. And that's a good one. In fact, as we grow in our Christian life, the Lord will expose us more and more to His holiness so that instead of saying, I have become less and less sinful, we have come to realize how sinful we are. 
This kind of understanding that we find in Isaiah here is like a liberous man being in the with the well people or okay, not a good example today. It's like a man with a COVID. And because you know you have a COVID, you know you 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 shouldn't be with the well. You isolate yourself in the room. And Isaiah felt he has COVID and he cannot be in the presence of God. In fact, so much that Isaiah knew like any man in the scripture, Moses, Manoah, Peter, that he deserved to die. He said, I am ruined. But he did not say, I am ruined because I killed a person. No, he was a decent person. I am ruined because I raped somebody. No, he is a morally good citizen of this country. In fact, he was looked up as one of the potential men of God within Israel. But he said, for woe I am, woe is me for I am ruined. I am lost. I should die. And the reason he gave is for my eyes have seen the king. You see that? All men, including we, have a high view of self. Do you know that? You have a high view of yourself. Funny because I said, when I, when I entered into ministry, I said, I'll enter ministry and for sure five years after the ministry, the ministry will be this. After five years, nothing happened. And I said, maybe I just need another five years. And five years have passed and nothing happened, at least as far as what I am thinking. And then I told myself, and I would just cling to the Lord. And I, I've been telling people of that. The Lord brought me to the point that inubus niya po talaga yung yabang. Only to find out that my yabang is I still have a lot of yabang. The most arrogant person. And this yabang is like bottomless pit that keeps on coming out. And then I realize I am worse than I think I am. This is where Isaiah is. When he was exposed in the holiness of God, I was told that in the operating room, the slides that they use for operation... Mitch is here. I don't know if Mark is here. I think I did not see Mark. But in the operation room, that light is not your ordinary light. The things, the small things that you could not see under ordinary light will begin to be exposed by that great light in the operating room. The holiness of God is like a light in the operating room so that it does not only expose our outward flaws, it judges the heart according to Hebrews 4.12. And probably, like, like right now I can look at JC and I would say, JC, I really like your morrow. <laughs> How can you see the morrow? It is enclosed by the bone. I mean, that's the last thing you can see because it is enclosed by the bone. And the word of God says it judges even the marrow of your bone. 
the holiness of God would leave us so vulnerable that there's nothing in us that would be left hiding. Hidden, sorry. If this is the holiness of God, or if the holiness of God would actually expose how dirty we are, then every one of us who saw the Lord, or truly saw the Lord, could only beat our best, our breast, and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Seeing the Lord means seeing that we are worse than we think we are. And you know what it tells us? Those who have seen the Lord are not those who, have, who still have a high view of self. If you still think I'm better than that person, if you still think I'm not like that, we have to grieve. How many times I found myself complaining about the problems of other people But every time God brings me to repentance, I always realize that the greater problem is me. Now, repentance is when you, in some sense, you have the feeling that you are the worst person in the world. Because it is your sin that you see, not other people's sin. Isaiah, when exposed to the holiness of God, realized that he was worse than we think he was. And we need to be at that point because these are the people who receive grace. This leads us to the third point. Seeing the Lord means he will cleanse us with his wrath-taking grace. The forgiveness continues to flow from the cross. The cross continues to invite If you confess your sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. In all of scripture, those who have seen the Lord were shown grace so that they did not die. Moses did not die when he saw the Lord. Abraham did not die when he saw the Lord. Manawah did not die when he saw the Lord. Peter, when did not die when he said, away from me, Lord, I am a sinful person. Because those who realize how dirty they are and they are not worthy to be in the presence of God are the very people who receive grace. In fact, those who would eventually be separated from God are those who never saw how unworthy they are in the presence of God. The beauty of the story at this point is that Isaiah might have been ready or ready to receive the wrath of God or die. He was ready. According to him, he has sinned the king, the Lord of hosts, so he has to die. And I like the fact that we are not told that Isaiah did, or Isaiah asked God for grace. I like the fact that Isaiah did not ask God to spare him. Because I think Isaiah wants to communicate something to us as the very person who felt this. And what he's saying to us here is that everything in him agrees. Everything in him understands that for him as a sinner to see the holiness of God, 
he should die. He should die. But what we cannot see in the context, but I want to think that Isaiah must have bowed his head down and was ready for execution. Think about that. Isaiah was bowing down probably and waiting for that wrath of God to come upon him. But it was not the wrath of God that has come upon him. It was the grace of God. So that's the irony there. The irony is when we no longer justify ourselves. We no longer think I'm better than you. God must, so should accept me. I am worthy into the ministry because this is who I am. The irony is that those who realize how Dirty they are, are the ones who receive the grace of God. Because they are the ones who are truly repentant. To realize that we are worse than we think we are is a grace from God. Because we would never have realized it unless we were exposed to His holiness. This is true humility. And the Bible says those who humble themselves are the ones who receive the grace of God. In his vision, one of the seraphim from heaven went into the altar of the temple and took a burning coal from it and touched Isaiah's filth, filthy mouth with it. One author wrote that this is this must be a coal from the altar of incense in heaven. John Calvin says, no, the, the point here is that Isaiah was taught that all purity flows from God alone. But I think, this is me, like any other vision in the scripture, what is important is the word of God which explains the vision. And the word of God says to explain the vision, behold, this is touch your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now that's a picture of salvation. But again, this is Isaiah's calling to the ministry. Where the implication of the holiness of God did not mean that he could not only declare the holiness of God with the seraphim, but to remind him before you get into the ministry, Isaiah, and prophets were seen highly at the time, priests were seen highly at the time, and Isaiah would be a prophet. He was first reminded that he can be a prophet. But understand this, you are not worthy to be one. We need this, isn't it? Many of us probably um, here are thinking, I'm not worthy to serve God. I'm not worthy to be there. Yes, that's a good thing, but we cannot stop there. Isaiah was on that place, but God assured him that you are not worthy, but I've cleansed you 
and I've taken away your guilt. I've atoned for your sin. Stand in my forgiveness. Stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah, you can serve me. Because you are forgiven. Maybe that's what we need today. Maybe, maybe this is the very truth that should push us because for the longest time, we stay from the distance. Many of you are coming to church and you are content with just sitting on Sunday and probably you do not want to present yourself to be used by God because you felt like you are unworthy. Yes, all of us are unworthy. But remind, remember this, and this is what God reminds Isaiah. Though sin increased, God's grace abounded all the more. Isaiah did not produce his own righteousness so that he would feel deserving of his calling. Isaiah was made to see the immeasurable atoning grace of God that he might draw his confidence from it as he obeys God. Isaiah still surely knew of how unworthy he was, but because of the gospel, he was no longer, or his sin was no longer a hindrance to serving God. His guilt was taken away. I hope that looking at the gospel of Christ, we would serve God with passion, joy. And this is my prayer for us. The prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, which reads, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, here's a prayer, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. May we grow in our understanding of the immeasurable love of God in Christ Jesus, that we may be assured that the present sins that we have, that we see in our lives, have already been forgiven and be released to serve God passionately. That brings us to our fourth point. Seeing the Lord means becoming His passionate, self-abandoning servant. Everything in this story flows from the vision of Isaiah of the Lord. It made him realize his sin. It made him experience the forgiveness of God in a greater way. And we find him in verse 8 presenting himself to be sent by God. Very different picture. Look at that. Isaiah said, I could not even look up to you, but only pronounce judgment. But now I want to think from bowing down to standing up and maybe even looking up to God and say, here I am, send me. That picture. Yes, God's word. Works in two ways. 
God's, sorry, God's word works in two ways. God's word can soften hearts. But God's word can also harden hearts. And Isaiah's, Isaiah's ministry is on the second one. To preach God's word that the heart of the people may be hardened. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Go and say to these people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Look at verse 10. Make the heart of these people dull. Preach the word that their hearts might be dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, turn and be healed. Just a little bit of a sidebar, church. There is a danger as well in keep when we hear the word of God over and over and over again every Sunday, but we are not moved not once, because maybe the effect of God's word in our hearts, that we are hardened. Which means we're not in Christ and we have to cry to the Lord, Lord, I've never been tender before you. Change my heart. And when Isaiah asked, how long would this ministry, Lord, you'll be preaching to people who would never listen to you. And he said, how long will this ministry? And in verses 11 to 13, somewhat God is saying, until the whole Judah will be destroyed. It doesn't sound like a fun, successful ministry. But Isaiah, mind you, was not in for fun, glamorous, and successful ministry. He was in to please God. That's all that Isaiah wants. He wants to show the worth of God by his obedience. And listen, church, by all measure, by all measure, we who see the Lord on the side of the cross should be more passionate and self-abandoning in our service to God than Isaiah because we have seen the greater display of God's forgiveness and we have a better ministry than Isaiah. Now, of course, first, we have seen the Lord in the cross of Calvary. We see the assurance of our forgiveness. But secondly, we have a better ministry. I want to point you out this one. At the end of verse 13, at the end of the verse 13, where Isaiah said, even the tent of the people will be wiped out. And you know what will remain is the stump. You know the stump when you cut a tree? That part that remains on the ground, that's a stump. And he said here, that's the only thing that remains. And that stump is the Holy Seed. Now the Holy Seed, if you go to chapter 7, God said to King Ahab, King Ahab, ask me for a sign that the collab, a collab was already in during that time, the collab of the king of Syria, and the king of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, wants to destroy, they wanted to destroy Judah completely. And God said, ask me for a sign, Isaiah, that they cannot destroy Judah. And Isaiah said, oh, I do not want to test the Lord. And again, a little sidebar. That's not a test. If the word, if God says his word, and then you do his word, that's not a test. We are testing the Lord when 
Even though the Lord did not say it, we want God to do it. That's testing the Lord. But if God said, Isaiah, ask me. It's not testing the Lord. It's the Lord who told him, oh, sorry, Ahab, test me. It was the Lord who said, ask me. But he said, no, I will not. And God said, okay, I will be the one to give the sign. And here's the sign, a virgin birth. Which we know the full fulfillment is not Mahir Sha'al Bas Has in chapter 7, the son of Isaiah. But the final fulfillment is the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, now that we are in Christ, Jesus said, he is the stump. He is the rock that the church we will be built. When Israel, whom God routed, did not bear fruit, the stump, the true vine, will bear fruits. We have a better ministry than Isaiah. We are not preaching and people would not listen. Yes, of course, there are many people who would not listen, but there will always those who will respond to the gospel, those whom God has chosen. So because we have seen the cross and we have a better ministry than Isaiah, like Moses, or like Paul said, we have a better ministry than Moses, we should all the more be grateful to God that we care more. We care more of pleasing Him than what our ministry itself or the size of our ministry. See, we know that our heart is truly humble. Is when we care not about the kind of ministry we will, will be given to us, but we care more for the heart of God. Isaiah was able to say, here I am, send me, before even hearing the word. Because for Isaiah, the ministry is not what is important. The, what is important is I will please the God who showed me grace. We should be passionate. Self-abandoning servants of God. If we have seen the greatness of the holiness of God, the greatness of our sinfulness, and the greatness of the wrath-taking grace of God. See, for us, church, we could not have a ministry that is mere formality. We could not have a Christianity that is mere formality. But our Christianity should be one of desperation. Desperation to display our gratefulness of God's grace through our most passionate Self-abandoning service to God. I want to address us. I want to steer us up. We cannot remain cold. We cannot be passionate even of one thing. Sometimes we are overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed most of the time. I always find myself saying, I've already given myself fully to the ministry. What more can I give? But then here's I realize. Once we are overwhelmed with the work of the Lord, it means our eyes are on the work, not on God himself. Because if our eyes are on God himself, life becomes about Christ. And when our heart is right, when we can say in our heart, to live is Christ and to die is gain, there is no Work that is hard. 
The problem many times is not the work itself. The problem is our hearts. Like Isaiah, we can only serve God passionately when our eyes are on the Lord. And if you are here and you have not really come to know Christ, Isaiah 6 is also a picture of salvation. Understand that regardless of who you are in the community, regardless of how people look at you, regardless of how decent you are, if you put side by side the holiness of God, you will realize that you are worse than anyone. Understand that you are a sinful person. And if not of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you would have been consumed by the anger of God. But in the goodness of God, he did not keep himself from displaying his anger towards you. He expressed his anger towards you. But not to you. He poured out all his anger for you to his son, Jesus Christ. Come out of the open and realize like the tax collector in the parable that Jesus gave. And realize and confess that I am a sinner. And by that cross alone, I am saved. Let's come before God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you of your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for such a grace that you extend upon sinful people like us. We pray that you would, in your grace, Give us the confidence to serve you with all our being. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.